1420 WBSM presents Ray Lance of the USA Wealth Group. It's time to get your finances in order. MoneyWise starts now. And good Sunday morning, everybody. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to MoneyWise, the show brought to you every Sunday morning by USA Wealth Group. And I'd like to say a big Sunday morning to attorney Tenny Lance. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. You have a cold. Well, just a little bit, but it uh, gives me more bass and more resonance. Oh, your voice is very bold. Well, I can sing country music a lot better, can't I? <laughs> I'm not sure. Daddy the, sang the bass. <laughs> well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Today we're going to be talking about what is it like for a younger generation person today to be getting along financially in life? It's not easy. It's much more difficult than it was for our generation, Tenny. It's much more difficult for older people, for baby boomers. Um, uh, I mean, it's much easier for, for, for our generation and for baby boomers, but it's much more difficult for Gen Xers and all the other generations that are coming behind. And in two words or less, why is that? Cost of living, inflation. That's three words, isn't it? Yeah, Four. too many. <laughs> It's okay, though. But it, but it really is true, and it's a very subtle thing, and people don't realize it. So right now, about this time of year, um, the current inflation rate is about 1.7%. doesn't sound too bad, but it also means that interest rates are really low. And the rate of inflation in general over the last 10, 15, 20 years has been really awful. Look at the price of a house today compared to what a house cost maybe 20, 25 years ago. It's double or triple the value. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. I want to start out with a quick story. Do you remember what we paid for our first house in Metapoisa, Tenny? Uh, not exactly. It was, what, around 15000 No, it was $21,700 we paid for our house. And do you know what our annual income was when we bought that first house? No, I don't. It was $22,000. Huh. Interesting. So our starting incomes way back then, fresh out of school, we earned a total of $22,000, and we bought a house that cost $21,700. But that's interesting. That's very uh, different from what happens mostly today. Well, it is, totally. So, for example, if you want to buy a $300,000 house today, and the house that we bought would probably sell today, I'm guessing for about $350,000. Yes, I think so. But yep. you're not going to find somebody with $350,000 worth of income to go buy that house, are you? No, and I guess what that means is that everyone is a little more stressed to stretch their income to cover all kinds of basic necessities. Well, it takes a lot more money today to live than it did when we were first out of school in the early 70s. And um, that's the main point of this. And the, and the interesting thing is loan terms haven't really changed all that much either in terms of how long you can finance a house for or the rate or anything. It isn't all that different. But costs and income are very different. So today with this morning, we're going to be talking about some things specifically that younger generation people can do. And what can you do? Maybe, maybe you shouldn't even be buying a house. Maybe you should be thinking of strictly renting. And that's one of the topics we're going to talk about today. So let's talk about what some of the generations are, first I of all. I always get very confused by who's in what generation when it's described as 
like Generation X or something. Well, I have a handy chart for you. Yes. So baby boomers, for example, are people typically around ages 55 to 73, born roughly between 1946 and 1964. Uh, Anybody that was born uh, earlier than that, say 1945 and earlier, they're the -the over-the-hill gang. But we won't comment on that no. t- today. Won't. So Generation X is right below baby boomers, and they're typically today ages 43 to 54. Why did they get that name? I don't know. I don't know the answer. You asked me a question I can't answer. <laughs> Sorry. So if you're born between 1965 and 1976, uh, roughly ages 43 to 54, you're considered to be in Generation X. Younger than that, between 1977 and 1995, which puts you around ages 24 to 42, that's called the millennials or Generation Y. And I'm always surprised by that because I think of millennial as being the people who were born around the turn of the century or thereafter, but it's not. So mostly we're talking today about people who are between the ages, say, 24 to 54, and I wonder how many people still believe in the American dream of buying your own house and then paying off the mortgage before you retire. I see more and more people, by the way, in my office and my business uh, doing retirement planning that uh, they retire with a mortgage. I would say that of all the people that I do financial services for and financial counseling, I'm guessing that maybe one-third to one-half have actually paid off their mortgage. Yes. And most people haven't. Most people live with a mortgage and they live with debt. And that's not that's not a problem. If if you can have the income, particularly in retirement, to afford to pay the mortgage, then that's okay. Or maybe you downsize or you do something like get a reverse mortgage to pay off your existing mortgage. So there's always options. But let's focus a little bit more on um, something called a recent article, The New Rules of Money. And we've got some great material. And it starts out saying, your parents' advice is kind of wrong. So the financial landscape has really very much changed. It's very difficult for people today graduating from college in particular. What happens when you graduate from college today, Tenny? You have debt. You have thousands, often hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. Don't necessarily think of a school loan or educational debt as good debt because basically you're stuck with it. It's not dischargeable in bankruptcy. If you get into financial difficulty, you've got to pay off that student loan. So um, it's, but let's talk about median income right now. Median income is still not that high in this country compared to the cost of living. So we're just talking about millennials, for example, or uh, generation Y. That's the younger generation, 24 to 42. Maybe they're recently out of school, but um, their average net worth in 2016 was about $92,000. That's about 40% less than the Generation X households, the generation that's 43 to 54. So people have less net worth and don't assume necessarily that the idea of having student loan debt is good debt. It really is not good debt. And it doesn't help you when you go to buy a house either because this is a loan you've got to pay off and you've got to make payments on. So educational debt is not necessarily good debt. 
and um, sometimes it's possible to invest too much in education. You know, one of the things that we've talked about a little bit over the years is maybe you're better off having vocational training first, like going to a vocational school or tech school, so you've got a skill set, and then think about going to college after that, and you can do that. Now you've got a double set of skills that you could use if you need to to support yourself. I've always thought that was a really good idea. And, in fact, most of the Volk schools are oversubscribed. There are more people now who want to get into them than they have room for. Mm -hmm. Well, right now it's estimated, for example, that 40%, 4 in 10 recent college graduates are not able to get a job that requires a degree. They're working in jobs that maybe retail or something of that nature, but they're not able. 4, right. four in 10, that, that's a huge, huge number. Yep. And... Uh, if you stay in school longer because you say, well, I've got a college degree and now I need to get a master's degree, then chances are you're going to accumulate even more debt uh, in that process. And not necessarily make yourself any more marketable. Right. So a lot of people think, well, if I get a further degree, if I get a master's degree, if, if I go on for some kind of graduate program, then incrementally I'm going to gain more in my salary. And the answer is... Not necessarily. So, for example, um, if you spend $50,000 to get a nursing degree, and nursing is a good career right now, um, is that really a good investment? Because is your salary going to jump from maybe $30,000 as a home health aide up to seventy or $80,000 as a registered nurse? Maybe not. So you need to really look at what the job market is paying uh, before you necessarily go out and think about going for further degrees, don't you? Absolutely. I'm, I'm interested in another set of numbers um, on this chart that you have in front of you. It talks about median annual income, and it goes from 1980 to present day. And the median annual income has really not varied in all of these almost 40 years. Right. Uh, it's still stuck around $40,000. Um, which doesn't mean that the rise of prices uh, for almost everything from food to housing uh, is any more affordable for people. So this is the good general comment for anybody. It doesn't matter what generation you are. A lot of people say, well, I think the economy is doing well. Um, I personally don't think that it is. And I personally think that we may be looking at a recession uh, probably in the year 2020. Um, and, and not only a recession, but... What's happening is it's the prices are rising, and people's income is not. Uh, it just gets harder and harder to pay the bills. So a lot of young people, when they get out of college, think that, well, I want to go live in a big city because it's more exciting, there's more to do, there's more job opportunities. But guess what? The housing cost is out of sight right now. Absolutely. I heard the other day that People in Boston are considering whether rent control should be reinstituted there. I mean, that's pretty drastic, but you can't afford to live there. No, I hadn't heard that. Well, we have some interesting things happening in New Bedford. And by the way, New Bedford rents right now, it's not unusual to see 1000 to $1,400 a month. Oh, no, not at all. For a two- or three-bedroom apartment, maybe in a three-family home. Oh, no, that's, that's pretty standard. I think one of the things we're going to see is maybe some growth opportunity in New Bedford, though, because 
in the year 2023, we should have train service finally operational. Yes, uh, I'm, all of us are anxious for that. I'm just wondering um, whether the train service is going to really be effective to Boston because it's not going to go direct. It's not a uh, express train, I don't think. I don't know the details of that, so I really can't comment on that. But think about what that means. It means maybe you could have a higher-paying job in Boston and live in a less expensive place like Greater New Bedford. Yep. But it's also going to mean that there will be more demand for people to want to live in a place like Greater New Bedford right? because now they've got a higher-paying job in Boston. They can afford to pay a higher rent or pay more money. So I think we're going to see some changes in the real estate market and the rental market over the next three to five years and something to think about. But one of the old rules that we were just talking about is get the best degree that you can. Um, Some of the average debt cost for graduates of college and master's programs, um, getting a medical degree, the average cost of somebody graduating from medical school today for their student loans, they've got about $170,000 worth of debt. That's all? I'm surprised it's not higher, actually. Well, for a lot of people, it is higher. Um, for a law degree, it's about $120,000. And as you know, I'm still paying my student loans from law school. <laughs> well, it's, it's worthwhile to do that sometimes. It's worthwhile to pay it out over time. On the other hand, if you got um, a specialty in doing legal research and not a law degree, Uh, the amount of the typical student loan debt is going to be significantly less. Same thing if you were in the health field, but not a doctor, but you were a physician's assistant or a nurse or a laboratory technician. You might have gone for training for that, but your debt load is going to be much less as well. The Wall Street Journal recently published, though, average debt for graduates having master's programs. So international relations, $65,000 in debt. Social worker, uh, $50,000 in student loan debt. Urban planning, $48,000. Education, maybe you want to get a master's degree to get a higher paying position in education. It's about $30,000. So you got to look carefully at what's really the relationship between how much student loan debt would you have versus how much income would you realistically expect to earn because you got to pay that student loan debt and you cannot discharge it in bankruptcy. Right. It, it makes decision-making uh, pretty difficult because something that may be of real interest to you is going to impact you financially for the rest of your life. So I'm going to mention something that's not in the paper, but it comes up periodically, and that is, let's say you have a younger person. They graduate from college. They've got $50,000 of student loan debt, and... Typically, they haven't done that all on their own. They've had somebody who's co-signed the loan for them, usually parents. So maybe if you graduate from school and you've got a fair amount of debt, uh, somebody ought to be paying for some life insurance on the life of that student. So if something should happen to that recent graduate, the loans can get paid off. That's a good idea. Otherwise, the parents could get stuck paying the loans. And I don't care if it's an inexpensive term insurance. Um, a $50,000 term policy for a young person in their mid to late 20s, let's say, you're probably looking at 50 or $60 a month, yeah. which is just peanuts. And it's certainly um, a good protection just in case. 
So if you happen to be a parent or a grandparent listening and you've co-signed on somebody's loans, then you really ought to think about taking some life insurance out on the life of that person. Right. Because unfortunately things do happen and you don't want to compound a tragedy by suddenly realizing that now you're responsible to pay that loan off. Yep. So we're talking this morning with attorney Tenny Lance. We're talking about the fact that it costs a lot more money to live today. The cost of living is much higher now in relationship to income than it was when we first got out of school, Tenny. It's a fact of life. It costs a great deal of more. But don't assume that buying a house is going to be a good investment, as a lot of people try to say. It's an important concept for many people. And if you can get your mortgage payment to be roughly what your rent level might be, then yes, you are building equity. But you have to have money for a down payment, and you have to be able to afford the mortgage payments. And you have all the extra expenses that you really have to cover. You have to cover the taxes. You have to cover the insurance. So the most important question is, can you afford the monthly payments? Can you afford the monthly charges? And do remember that when you go to apply for a loan, uh, they look at a debt-to-loan ratio and income-to-loan ratio. What is your income that you have in relationship to the mortgage loan that you want to carry? And they will add up all the payments that you currently have to pay, including your student loans. Yes, what was surprising to me when I looked into it recently uh, is that the debt-to-income ratio, uh, or debt-to-to, yeah, I guess it's income ratio. It's up to 43%. When, when we were doing this, you could only have about 30%. Yep. Now it's up to 43%. So little by little, the, these indices are, are increasing and maybe making it easier to get the loan, but is it going to make it easier to pay the loan? Well, exactly, and you have to be able to afford the payments. And do remember that the housing costs in bigger cities are impossibly ridiculous. I mean, I I think the average college graduate coming out of school today, they wouldn't be able to afford to live in downtown Boston to buy a place. You're looking at half a million, three-quarters of a million, million dollars to buy a very small, modest condo in Boston. Right. So your choice is to pay rent. In Boston, you're going to be looking at more than $2,000 a month for rent. Oh, yes, much more. So um, you have to factor that in. And... The rate of home ownership right now for millennials, remember this is the group that's age 24 to 42, um, in 2017 was about 38%, and it used to be much higher. So amongst other things, you need to think about where can you save money, where can you not spend money. Um, I'm not going to put this just on Gen X or millennials, but how many people listening today Make it a point to buy your takeout coffee every single morning. Um, or do you get your cup of coffee at home and make it and bring it in your own container? We're laughing here, looking around the studio. <laughs> <laughs> or as we do, we provide coffee in the office for everyone, and uh, it just makes it both quicker and cheaper. <laughs> yeah, it is. But you know what? The interesting thing is even though we do that, and we also have a coffee pod machine, so we buy the coffee pods, and for the pods, they're more expensive. So... If you want to put a pot in the coffee maker, you got to pay 50 cents for that. Which oh, we, I didn't even know that. Oh yeah. I haven't seen that. Which is our cost. Yeah. But yet somebody will still come in. We see people still walking in the door with 2 or $3 they paid for their morning 
coffee. Yep. So never really understood that. Benjamin Franklin once said, "Rather go to bed supperless than rise in debt." Oh, interesting. But it is a factor. I only do that so much. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Go to bed without supper because you're saving money. Hey, you know, we could lose weight. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad idea. <laughs> and uh, Andrew Jackson even said, when you get in debt, you become a slave. So this is not a brand new problem. But I think there's a perception today in the country that the overall economy is booming and doing great. That when the jobs numbers come out, it looks like there's, you know, increases in the job market. You know what the biggest increases are in the job market, Tony? You mean what category of job? Yeah. Um, Part-time. Oh, like the gig economy that we were talking about last week. Entry-level positions, minimum wage, and part-time jobs. That's really the biggest category. They don't usually break that down. The politicians in Boston like to say, well, we added 170,000 jobs across the country. When you break that down and you look at the ratio and see the percentage that are poorly paying jobs, um, it's not impressive statistics. So I think there's a lot of fragility in the economy today. And I think that anything that people can do in general to save money, not spend as much money, don't buy the morning coffee, make it a Saturday morning treat or something like that. Yeah. Even that. And as you say, although... It's, it's interesting, and people feel good about the fact that the employment rates are low, whether those jobs in the employment industry uh, are paying well is another question altogether. I don't see anything really big that has happened to our economy in, in decades, Well, um, other than the 2008 crash. We, we hope that we don't have another recession, but right now 74% of the economists in this country in a survey done um, the last couple of months by the Wall Street Journal, 74% of the economists say that we expect to have a, a recession next year. So just think about that. And hopefully, if it happens, it's not going to impact a lot of people. But you need to kind of plan for that. You know, one of the problems with the younger generations right now is that they saw their parents buy a house. Um, we've had a house since we were right out of school. Um, and we've had a series of houses. I wished we had kept them all and rented them later. <laughs> but hindsight is wonderful. Um, and so sometimes it's expected that the younger generation think that they've got to go out and buy a house. And, and they also think that maybe they're a failure if they haven't bought themselves a house. There's nothing wrong with being a first-time home buyer. And if your mortgage cost is going to be roughly equal to what you'd be paying for rent or maybe just a little bit more uh, so you can deduct mortgage interest on your taxes, for example, then it's still maybe not a bad thing to do. But um, and we'll, we'll talk about that concept and how to do it another time. And the generation of folk that we particularly see in the office are those who are so tied to their homes. They want to make absolutely certain that they don't lose them, that their children inherit them, and so forth. Maybe that's not the way to go for the future. Yeah, but, you know, it's a good thought for a number of reasons. Um, lots and lots of people today don't want to spend the money or can't afford going out and having their own apartment um, or buying their first house, and they continue to live at home. I see it all the time. We have a, a church member right now who's going to be housing 
both a son and a daughter and their respective spouses. And they're going to be doing that for a short period of time and a couple of grandkids and a couple of dogs also. Yeah. And yeah. this just came up in church fairly recently. And Many of the people that I see have children living at home, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And um, we've had it in our own office. We've had people continue to live at home. So we're going to be talking about some alternatives to buying your house. We're going to be talking about some alternatives for getting out of debt and avoiding some debt in the first place. And we're going to be talking about things like having a positive attitude. And Thomas Jefferson said, never spend your money before you have it. And that's not necessarily the philosophy of a lot of people today, is it? Oh, no. Credit card debt is pretty high. Yep. We're going to be talking about, when we come back, the difference between credit card debt and a debit card. Which is the better card to spend money on? So stay tuned. When we come back, we're going to be talking about that really interesting question. Welcome back to MoneyWise and another good Sunday morning to you, ladies and gentlemen. And good Sunday morning to Attorney Tenny Lance. Good morning, everyone. Tenny, today we're talking about the younger generation and how difficult it is for them financially in particular. And we're going to be talking about some of the things that the older generation can do to help, perhaps. Well, I think this article from the Wall Street Journal that you've been talking about is interesting because it sort of places on us the older generation, the onus that we have had expectations for our kids and we've placed uh, on them uh, our, our uh, considerations about what's important in life and maybe we did a wrong thing. You know, it's not necessarily absolutely true that you have to um, buy a house and have 3.2 kids and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And one thing that we do very, very poorly in this country is financial education. Absolutely. It's virtually non-existent. And because of that, people grow up with unrealistic expectations about what they can afford, what they can pay for. So just before the break, um, we're talking with Attorney Tenny Lance. Um, Tenny, you see a lot of people in your office that help their children, don't you? Oh, many. Yes. I mean, it's, it's... it's tragic to me to see how often kids are uh, asking their parents for financial help. It's, it's just not fair to either generation. It uh, makes the younger generation um, feel pretty badly, and it puts all kinds of pressure on the older ones. Well, our children both have houses, and at uh, various times we've helped them with down payment money and things of that nature. Yeah. Because even though sometimes their income seems high, the cost of living is so much higher today than it used to be. And I know one of the things that we can help people with in the office, both on uh, the law firm with Attorney Tenny Lance and Mike Coleman and at USA Wealth Group when we talk about how do you handle your money, is what are some of the smarter ways you could help children? You know, should you do gifting, do you do gifting? Uh, One little hint on gifting that I always tell people is, if you're going to make a gift to children because you've got some extra money and they need help, that's fine. Just tell them this is a one-time gift. Don't tell them that I'm going to do this every year at Christmas time. So they develop a spending mentality, expectation that come December they're going to get another slug of money to use. Or I always tell um, the older people that I see that if they decide to gift, 
they want to ask their kids not to spend that money generally until the older person is deceased because what if you need it later and you have to ask for it back you may be gifting in order to protect those funds from something like medicaid but boy if you need it back and it's all spent uh it's not going to help you jenny if somebody wants to make an appointment to see you and talk about protecting their money or protecting it from a nursing home or whatever um how should they reach you to make an appointment we would love to see them if they call 508-998-8800. We'd love to talk to them about trusts that help with probate and with state taxes, uh, with wills, with durable powers of attorney, all kinds of documents that we say over and over again, everyone should have. And by the way, on the USA Wealth Group side, although we help a lot of people make smarter decisions about investing their money more conservatively so they're not going to lose it if there are significant changes in the stock market, for example, or helping people with rollovers from 401ks into IRA accounts. We do a lot of that, but I see a fair number of people who simply have financial issues and financial problems, and we don't necessarily make any money working with them, but we're always willing to help them and say, maybe there's a different solution you haven't thought of. So give us a call at 508-998-8858. Whether you have a small amount of money and assets and you've got some concerns and issues, or whether you have more money and you're anxious to make sure you can protect it and have enough income in retirement. Oh, it worries me so much. The number of people I see who are who have all their retirement savings uh, tied up one way or the other in the stock market. And many people don't even know that. Mm. They have a 401k or an IRA, and they, they're in mutual funds, and they think, oh, that's pretty safe. Well, oh, mutual, funds have, mutual funds are basically invested in stocks and bonds, and mutual funds typically have higher fees than almost anything else you can do. So let me come back to the question of credit cards versus debit cards and that kind of a thing. And it amazes me that you ask that question. Um, it isn't as though they're at all alike. No, they're totally different, and that's the important point about it. So I remember very vividly when I graduated from college, in my senior year, there were people out there giving an application for a credit card, and you didn't have to have any particular credit. They automatically sent you a credit card with two or $300 worth of credit on it. And I was telling that story recently to somebody and they said, well, things have really changed. Now, when you enter college, when you go to sign up for your courses as a freshman, all the credit card companies are there now as a freshman for the new class coming in. They want to hook you on the credit cards right away. Yep. And you may have a very low interest rate uh, for the first year, and then typically it's going to jump up after the second year. Yep. So, um, number one, um, a lot of people say, well, I like to put my money, spend money on my credit cards because I get airline miles or I get rewards, uh, for example. And uh, Dave Ramsey, who's a well-known financial commentator, said, you don't build wealth with credit card rewards and airline miles. You cannot beat the credit card companies at their own game. So here's, here's the thing. If you have a credit card, the ideal scenario for everybody, and not too many people can do this, is when your bill comes in the end of the month, you really ought to be able to pay that credit card off. Right. In other words, you're not charging very much. If not, if you let it run over to the next month, 
then it's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you interest. Well, the interest rates are so high. They're, what, 15 to 30%. It's really horrible what the rates are. Mm -hmm. Yep, they can be very well. And also they have what they call a default rate. So you may have a credit card that says 12%, but if you're late on a payment and you read the fine print, now they have a right to increase the interest rate right away to the higher rate. So if you don't pay on time, that's a serious problem. But the difference between a credit card and a debit card is a debit card is based upon money in your bank account. Yeah, I don't think of a debit card as any different from a checking account. It still comes out of your bank account, and if you don't have enough money in that account, you don't use the card. Well, most European countries today, uh, Japan and China in particular, um, there are many places where they don't even take cash anymore. They will only take a card, a plastic card. We will yep. be at that point probably at some point in this country. Yeah, for some reason we always seem to be behind Europe with things. I remember um, that they had automated gas filling stations in Europe years before we had them here. So, yes, it will be a cashless society before very long. Yeah, Susie Orman, another financial commentator, once said, a cash advance on a credit card is one of the worst types of borrowing because the interest rate is typically 21% or more. And she also said, I have always advocated doing everything possible to pay off credit card balances. It's good financial management, and it's the ticket to a strong FICO credit score. So credit cards are bad. Debit cards are much better is the bottom line. I was reading something yesterday, by the way, that surprised me. I had no idea what FICO stood for. And it, it's, it makes no sense whatsoever. Free Isaac. No, Fair. Fair Isaac. Fair Isaac. Yeah. What's, what the heck is that? I think it was two gentlemen by the name of Fair and Isaac. Oh, put together, together and this, this analysis. Yeah. I think that's what it is. <laughs> so do you remember, Tenny, when uh, we bought our first house and we went to apply for a mortgage? Do you remember what they said to you? Oh, I surely do. I will never forget. Well, tell everybody that story. That's a great story. Well, you, were, you had been in law school, so you weren't working. And, in fact, I was working and supporting both of us. And I had been working for three years, so I had had some... No, I actually had my first job, too, but I was making yeah, less, less right. than you, you at the you, time. Had, you were just about to start your first job. Um, but I had been working longer, and I had a higher salary than you did. Um, so we went to the bank and applied for a mortgage for our first loan. And the banker said to us, Oh, I'm sorry, Tenny, but we can't even consider your income because you might get pregnant. That that's, was not all that long <clears throat> ago. That's the way it was. So here's Billie Jean King. You know who she is, famous tennis player. Right. In 1973, a woman could not get a credit card without her husband or father or a male signing off on it. Yep. 1973. Isn't that amazing? Most kids nowadays have no concept of any of that. No, and... And maybe it's okay that they don't. Well, <laughs> those things have changed, which is certainly good. Um, so I'm, I'm, I've given you a few quotations this morning about some financial people going back to Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and so forth, because debt has been an issue for a long time. And uh, there's another financial commentator named uh, Noam Chomsky. He said, debt is a trap, especially student debt, which is enormous far larger than credit card debt. It's a trap for the rest of your life. 
because the laws are designed so you can't get out of it. If a business, A gets in too much debt, it can declare bankruptcy. But individuals can never be relieved of student debt through bankruptcy. So student debt's a problem, and um, we need to teach people better about how to manage money. So it's harder to make it today financially. You can't afford to buy the same house based on your income to house value ratio as you could 30, 40, 50 years ago. The cost of housing, the cost of living is much higher, and it's, it's very insidious. It's very subtle. You don't see it going up. You just know you can't afford it. I'm looking at something that uh, you brought with us called the Financial Starter Kit, and yep. for years you have been advocating that school systems better educate our kids about uh, the, the whole financial picture. And the things that people don't even know about nowadays on this list are pretty interesting, like W-4s and 1040s. If you haven't done income tax before, what the heck are they? Yep, so if you're just starting out and you're working for an employer, you're going to get a um, W-2 at the end of the year. And then you have to file a tax return, which is called a 1040. And I've seen people over the years who just got sort of overwhelmed by it all and they didn't file and they didn't file for several years then they have a real problem then they really have a problem and if you happen to be in that situation we've helped a number of people get current and get get out of that problem Um, you know give us a call at 508-998-8858 we'll help you with that i wonder how many younger people look at their credit report periodically you have to look at your credit report it's free Uh, freecreditreport.com freecreditscore.com. Your credit score, and as Tenny said, it's the FICO score for the most part. Um, That's your key to whether you can get financing. So let's say you do want to buy a house. Let's say maybe you're married, you're both working, you've got two incomes coming in, you decide to buy a house. One of the first things you want to do is to get pre-qualified. Don't just go out and start looking at houses and assume you're going to get financing because you might not, or you might have something negative on your credit report that you forgot about or didn't know about, and you're better off to know what your credit report is and get it cleaned up. Now you can start out and get pre-qualified. Pre-qualification is also important to the seller because if you're looking at two offers for the same uh, property and one of the buyers has been pre-qualified for a certain amount and the other has not, you're more likely to accept the offer from the one who's pre-qualified, even if that offer might be slightly lower, because you can be pretty well satisfied that that person can't afford and will go forward and buy that house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of brokers today don't want to show houses to people unless they know that they are a qualified buyer ahead of time. So get yourself qualified. Yep. Keep track of your expenses. Uh, Do a budget. And we've talked about budgets until my uh, face has turned blue probably, but Um, having a budget is a critical thing and if you start out early with a budget um, it's going to be a good habit that's going to stick with you for the rest of your life the other really important habit to get into and get into it early is from your very first job put something aside and have it automatically deducted from your paycheck I don't care if it's $20 a week or $25 a week have it go into a savings account or better yet, have it go into a retirement account. Two of the dumbest things that I ever did in my life were when I left a job with the city of New Bedford, 
and then and took a job with the state and then left that job for the state and went into practice on my own. I took the money out of the retirement savings that I had in both of those jobs because it seemed important at the time to have more cash and less future uh, available funds. And how I wish I had those funds still in my control now. Sure. That was really dumb. Yep. And conversely, I've seen people who both worked for utility companies and uh, they were average jobs. They paid reasonably well, average well, but not exceptionally well. But they get into the savings habit from the very first time they started their job. They put money aside every single week when they reached a certain level. They would take it out and they would put it into um, a CD, for example. The rates were higher back then. And they did the same thing with their retirement accounts. Um, And they retired roughly at the age of 62. And they were worth several million dollars. Yes, it it always amazes me, no matter how many uh, good people I see in our office and get to talk with them about their financial picture, how many ordinary kind of folk, whether they were teachers or whether they worked in a, a manufacturing shop or something, they just kept saving, and now they're very comfortable, and they don't have any debt, and they are um, not going to worry about their retirement years. It's great. Yeah. I wonder how many people know what a cashier's check is or a bank check. Well, it's a check that you go in and you have money come out of your checking account or your savings account. Maybe you needed to have uh, a cashier's check for a security deposit on a house, for example, or a security deposit on uh, an apartment. Well, you go into a bank, and typically if it's your own bank, they might not charge you anything. Or if they do, it's a fairly small fee. But when the check uh, goes back, it gets cashed, it comes out of the bank's account. It doesn't come out of your own account. Uh, You've already paid for it. Not usually for large sums, but sometimes you need to have it. Or how about a voided check? I wonder how many people know what a voided check is. Sometimes you want to have money directly deposited into your account. And the institution that's going to put money into your account, let's say it's from an annuity that's going to make periodic payments, maybe you would rather have it direct deposited to your account than having a check mailed to your mailbox. So often you'll have to take a check out of your checking account and you write void across the top of it. What's interesting is that all of that is going to change and probably go away because how many people do you know who are still getting Um, statements, paper statements from banks, or actually writing checks. Most people are doing electronic banking these days. You know what we want an answer? (laughs) Me, 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 me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I will will fight to the end not to do electronic (laughs) banking because I don't trust it, but a lot of people do. We do a little bit. We do some of both. So um, the fact is that nearly... 75% of Americans who use credit cards make only the minimum payment each month. 75% only pay the minimum. And the minimum doesn't really pay off the debt. Oh, no. At that rate, you could spend the next 30 years paying back a $3,000 credit card debt, and you would pay an additional $8,000 worth of interest to the institution that gave you the card. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like having compound interest in reverse But um, so a lot of kids, a lot of young people come out of college, they have a credit card and they have a diploma. They don't know how to buy a house. They don't know how to buy a car or health insurance or life insurance. They just don't know basic microeconomics. 
Jesse Jackson said that, and it's true. Uh, frankly, we ought to teach a course in college as well as starting back in elementary school. Right. But uh, credit card companies are in business purely for one reason. They're in business to make money. So let's be positive about a few things. Um, what if you're a first-time taxpayer? Um, you now have a new job. Or what if you're not a first-time taxpayer? You want to know why is your Social Security deduction so high? Because you contribute to it and your employer contributes to it, both of you. And how do you file your taxes if you don't have a permanent address? Well, you can do it in care of somebody else. You can do it in care of a relative. Um, we talked a couple of weeks ago about something called the gig economy, working part-time jobs. Or maybe you have a regular full-time job, but you're doing something else part-time. And one of the biggest mistakes that people make is, well, they say I'm self-employed, but it's a cash business. I'm not going to report it. That means you're not paying into Social Security, um, aside from tax fraud, because you're not reporting all of your income. Uh, there are ways the government can catch up with you on that. So take your taxes seriously. Get some advice. We've got a lot of good charts and graphs. We're happy to share that. If somebody wants one, just call USA Wealth Group at 508-998-8858. But I think mostly you got to have a positive attitude about the things that you're doing. Uh, the solutions right now aren't great because the cost of living is so high. You still have to accumulate money. Uh, one of the ways to solve the high cost of housing, whether it's renting or buying, is live with somebody else. Would live with several other people. So many of my clients I see have children that they are helping out, living at home, whatever. And I say, well, you've got two units in your house and your son's in one. Is he paying rent? Well, a little, but um, I buy all his groceries or something like that. Charge him room and board. It'll make him get out faster. <laughs> Seriously. But, but so many people in our generation are are generous to a fault about their children. They're, they're so anxious uh, to be helpful and to make sure that their children are okay. But it isn't necessarily teaching the children how to be resourceful for themselves. Well, you have to make a plan and you have to do some things. You have to make sure you've got basic estate planning documents in place, whether you're living together with uh, somebody or whether you are married. Um, particularly if you have children, you really need to have some really basic estate planning documents at a minimum, don't you, Tenny? Oh, how many times can we say that people need these documents? It's absolutely critical that they get them. And it starts with a trust or a will or both, preferably a trust, and includes a durable power of attorney for property so that somebody could deal with your bills and deal with your banks and so forth if need be, if anything happened to you and you were incapacitated, even for a period of time. And as we said earlier, if you've got student debt and you just graduated, get some life insurance on your life. It is so cheap. And get that loan paid off if something should happen to you. I want to give you a couple of what I'm going to call uh, positive quotations because I like to close on this. Uh, Joel Osteen, who's a Southern televangelist, said, choosing to be positive and having a grateful attitude is going to determine how you're going to live your life. So I kind of like that. Uh, how about Wade Boggs? Do you know Wade Boggs, Tenny? 
Baseball player. Baseball player, Red Sox baseball player. Wade Boggs once said, a positive attitude causes a chain reaction of positive thoughts, events, and outcomes. It is a catalyst and sparks extraordinary results. So, I believe in that. I, I believe in um, positive attitudes even for health. I think if you think yourself well and uh, go out and push yourself to do things that you're going to feel better. Remember we used to always tell the kids if they didn't feel well at dinner because they didn't want to eat a particular food, we'd say, get up and run, run around the table. You'll feel much better. Yeah, and sometimes if we weren't looking, they would take the food they didn't like and stick it into a plant. I know. Remember that? Oh, killed so many <laughs> of my pretty plants, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, most importantly, it's tougher today for the younger generation. There are things the older generation can do to help them, and one of the ways to do that is to make sure you have a proper estate plan in place. Give attorney Tenny Lance a call. Tenny, thank you, as always, for being here. It's, it's good to have somebody to talk with and tell some stories and share some ideas and we have lots of stories we have an interesting uh, career in life yes and I'm going to leave you with a closing thought um, it's a, a person named Yanni um, I will keep smiling be positive and never give up I will give 100% each time I play these are always my goals and attitudes nice and my last for today is from Lyndon Johnson. Yesterday is not ours to recover, but tomorrow is ours to win or lose. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. We'll see you next Sunday morning on the radio.